This is where our mind can fail us because the math doesn't work. How could God be holy other and then also completely present with us? But that's, that's part of the mystery that we have to hold. Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona welcomes you to another season of our podcast, Taste and See. This time we're talking about contemplation into the silent land. Well, welcome back once again to the Taste and See podcast, the podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. We're so glad you joined us today. Yeah, friends, welcome to the table to talk to us, to taste and see that God is good. My name is Gray Ewing, and I am the pastor of Ascension Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and the co-host of this show, which I run with my good friend, Ted. Yeah, and that's me, and I should have introduced myself before. (laughs) But it's great to be together, and uh, as you know, this season, season five, we're walking through the book Into the Silent Land by Martin Laird, and we are interviewing different people who are part of our ministry team as we discuss and and highlight some of the themes in this book throughout the season. I'll also mention, Ted, at the start here that we are also lining these up, right, with different Be Still events in the Valley. So Be Still is a ministry of of the Formation Society where you can find a setting and literally it is exactly what it sounds like. You can be still before the Lord. And so Stillness is one of the things we're exploring in this book, but also that we're encouraging as a practice. These little short meditations in the book that we're studying together uh, lead us into a complex, but also very simple world of being still before the Lord. And so we want you to know, especially those who are in Arizona uh, or maybe traveling to be here, that there are opportunities for you to put into practice exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, every month we have Be Still, and what we're going to be doing this year is spending a little time reflecting on a chapter in the book, and then going into a contemplative sit, a time of contemplative prayer, just sitting and being in the Lord's presence. And uh, we're going to continue with the one in Phoenix at Canaan in the desert. And then we're starting a new one this year that will be on a different night and a different day in the East Valley. And it's going to be hosted at uh, Vineyard, the Vineyard Church in Gilbert. For today's discussion, walking through chapter two, the wild hawk of the mind, we are getting to sit with our good friend and uh, teammate, Shelly Sloterbeek. Welcome, Shelly. So glad to be here, Ted and Gray. I'm so glad that you took the intro there, Ted, because I was I was going to uh, wonder about how to say your last name out loud, which I think I've known for a long time, but I just don't have that confidence yet, but... Did Ted nail it? It's Sloterbeek, right? Just all. Yep. Okay. 100% Dutch. It's 100% Dutch. And, and it's easy. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Your only options are Sloterbeek or Slaughterbeek, right? Yeah, right. And, and if you know Shelly, she would never <laughs> slaughter a fly. Right. And she seeks to live a slow life. Am I right? There you go. That is. That's true. Yeah. So tell us what so. you do, Shelly, with, with the Spiritual Formation Society. 
So I've been with the society for three years, um, since the beginning of 2020. And um, if you've ever received an email, it's probably from me. Uh, <laughs> um, I do a lot of the administration things, um, helping run the events, all that sort of stuff. Uh, once in a while, uh, Ted lets me say things in front of other people. <laughs> So that's kind of fun. Um, yeah. So I just do that kind of thing. I'm also I'm a spiritual director. So I get to do that. And I love being with other people. And Shelly, let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. The way you just yeah. described that makes it sound like we keep you in a cage. <laughs> and every now and then we let you out. You got to be honest. I'm always asking you to do more things that are like public facing and teaching kind of things because your voice um, has made such an impact on my life. And so. Well, well thank you. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's very true. So, so hopefully we'll have something coming up here soon. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, and I, I want to just mention too, um, uh, Shelly is married to John and um they have a 13, no, gosh, I was going to say 13-year-old daughter. She's 15 now, right? 14. So 14. Close. Okay. I, yep. I was all around that. Claire, um, who's a freshman in high school, um, yep. plays in the band, if I'm remembering right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she's just like the sweetest, uh, most kind girl you'd ever meet. And it's not a surprise to me knowing you that you'd have such a sweet, kind daughter. Um. <laughs> So anyway, it's great to have you here. And this season, we're calling our coffee season. We gained like 45 pounds over the last four years eating all these That's meals. Right. So now we're just going to drink some coffee with people. Plus, we're talking about silence and contemplation. And you need a dark beverage, uh, hot or cold, right, to to keep you awake and to keep you vigilant uh, for the Lord, right? So it works for this season. Yeah. And so um, we're a little challenged because... Um, a year ago, Shelly started working remotely from Pennsylvania. So um, uh, we tried to figure out how to get you some coffee and basically said, well, the coffee shop's closed at, at the time we're going to start recording this. And there's a three hour time difference. So we got some coffees. But what, what are you going to be drinking today? Well, I decided to brew some decaf because it's the afternoon here late afternoon. And if I drank coffee right now, I would be up all night. So I have some Mocha Origins coffee. Um, it's local. It's a local roaster. Um, it's uh, some ethically sourced uh, coffee from Cameroon. Mm. And yeah, and then there's a roaster just, I don't know, 20, 20 or so minutes from my house. And they roast these beans and work with different communities and sustainable community development. So, and it's pretty tasty. This is a dark roast and on the bag, it says, cause I had to bring it in cause I wasn't going to remember. It says medium body notes of toasted nuts and chocolate. So mm, gotta have those notes. All right. Well, that's yeah. nice. Well, and what you said that there's a, that's close to your house. The other thing that's really close to your house is a monastery. There is, yeah. It's like, literally I could I could walk there in five minutes. Yep. Yeah, doesn't part of your the your property like back up to the cemetery that's a part of the monastery or something? Just, 
Just across the dirt road. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be cemetery at some point. It is not currently, which I'm very grateful for because <laughs> I didn't know that when we moved here. Right. <laughs> across from a cemetery. They, they don't put that in the notes on, <laughs> on a Trulia real right. estate app, you know, right. right across from a future cemetery. Right. A great benefit and value to the neighborhood and the kingdom, and yet not great for, <laughs> not great for property values. Right. Well, I directed Ted to, uh, to pick up some provision coffee for us, and I said, you know, you got to get uh, this one drink that I get very periodically from there. And it's called the Southwest Sunrise. And I actually don't remember what's in it, maybe since you picked it up, you know, but I know that it's orange and coffee, which I'm not normally a fan of, like the, you know, right. orange mocha frappuccino, whatever that, from whatever movie that's from, not my thing to normally mix orange with coffee. However, uh, this is a, this is a surprise, a Southwest surprise, uh, sunrise. So what, what's in it? So there? it's, it's a nitro cold brew uh -huh. and then some simple syrup, chocolate bitters. Right. And then the twist of orange. Yes. So orange, chocolatey, but it's more subtle than you're, you're thinking. This, this is not like a Frappuccino from, from Starbucks. Right. This is like, this is hipster coffee. Oh, this is definitely a hipster coffee. And Provision yeah. is a hipster, yeah. is a hipster joint. If you've never Which been Which means there. it's automatically better. So we're going to taste and see these coffees for just a few minutes and enjoy them. And so that you won't hear our slurping over the microphone, we'll turn it off for just a minute. But we'll have you join us right on the other side. And we'll have a conversation about chapter two with Shelly. Thank you for joining us on the Taste and See podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Our vision for the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is to create space for leaders and learners to grow in deeping intimacy with God. Check out sfsaz.org for more information and resources, and consider joining us at an upcoming event. Now back to the podcast. All right, well, we're back after taking a little break and getting to spend some time with Shelly and tasting this coffee. And um, yeah, Greg, what do you think? You've had it before. I've had it before. You like yes. it. This is a once every three or four month uh, indulgence for me, not not an everyday indulgence. Yeah, well, it's it, it wasn't cheap. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, was it not? <laughs> no, it's like $8. Oh my goodness. For one. <laughs> I so, don't remember that. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, it is really different. I expected it to be kind of sweet, but it, it really has a lot of complexity in the flavors and I like it a lot. It's unique. Yeah, it is. Your fancy coffee is putting my regular pour over coffee to shame, but it's, it's good. It's <laughs> Are you detecting some nuttiness, some, some taste oh, yeah. of, nut, of nut and what, what else did you say? Chocolate. chocolate. Yes, no. I can definitely okay. taste it though. Well, Shelly, yours is at least ethically sourced. Who knows what they did to get ours? They That's probably, right. you know, killed some small animals in <laughs> Australia. Um, okay, that's a joke, everybody. It's a joke. No emails <laughs> about that. Um, we do not believe in killing animals in Australia. Um, we are animal people. Um, so, 
your wandering mind reminds me that of what we're talking yes, about. Yes. So, so today we're talking about the wild hawk of the mind. And, and I do want to mention too, that this book was written by a wonderful man, Martin Laird, who I had mentioned we'd had some communication with over the summer and he's been quite ill. And I asked if we could be praying for him. And so I just want to invite you as, as you listen to the podcast, as you remember it, uh, pray uh, for Father Martin Laird uh, as he's recovering from some uh, serious illness. And we're hoping he'll join us um, for a little more discussion um, later in the season. But yeah, so as he's walking through some practical things of how do we sit in the silence with God? How do we sit in communion and experience contemplative prayer with God? There's this whole chapter on, on thinking about uh, the mind. Yeah, Ted, the, the way that he really begins this chapter, and I want to bring Shelley's uh, thoughts in on this as well, is that he, he begins with a picture, right, of you know this, this person who's walking his dogs. I think it's a personal story, right? Somebody that he knows. And, you know, I won't tell the whole story, but the, the long and short of it is, is there's a dog who runs in circles rather than being a dog and being free to roam. This is not a leashed dog, right? The dog just chooses to run in circles. And and then he, he talks to the owner and he you know basically asks, well, why does this dog do this? And and um, and he says, this is what this this dog has learned, basically, to, to keep running in circles. And he uses that as a, as a picture for our minds. And maybe, Shelley, you could unpack just a little bit of what you think he meant by bringing up this picture of the, the dog that runs in circles. Yeah, I um at first when I heard it, I was I was interested in just um because I was thinking like just about the dog, you know, what would make a dog do that? Just that like trained way of thinking, like I only have this much space to run around in. And you know, it kind of reminded me of I don't know if you've heard of like the story of like the elephant, the baby elephant that grows up and it's attached to like just this tiny little stick. And when it grows up, it's still attached to the tiny little stick because it just doesn't think it can go any further. So I just, I was kind of making that connection. Just, you don't know what's out there if, if you don't have a way to experience it, or if you've never even heard of the idea that there could be something else. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, a couple of years ago, a number of years ago, I would wake up in the morning and, get, and read the news and I get so super annoyed at the news and it would kind of ruin my day. Like it would, you know, it would kind of consume my thoughts, kind of like that dog running around. And, and after, you know, after a while of doing that, um, it was like all I could think about, like just whatever the terrible thing was that happened in the morning. And after, you know, after some time, uh, my husband said, you can't got to stop reading the news. <laughs> and I was like, well, that seems like not a great thing to do because then I don't know what's going on in the world and you know, all the things I, so I started Googling because Google is kind of my way of uh, finding out all the things. Um, and I stumbled across centering prayer hmm. and I feel like that was kind of my, my first thought of like, Oh, this could be something different. Like my brain can do something different. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of just, that was what my thought was when I was thinking about the dog, like the dog was where I was when I was kind of angry and just ruminating and, you know, on 
the terrible things. And, and I didn't know any better. Yeah. The silent land is, is a wide spacious place, right? Our communion with God, our contemplation of God is, it's as wide as, as his world. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, Laird walking in the British, you know, countryside and the rolling yeah. hills and the invitation there, right? Which is that we don't have to stay obsessed with things or, um, you know, whatever it is that kind of clouds up our lives. God actually invites us um, into a, into a spacious place where we can experience him. And that, you know, his point is, is that through silence and meditation and contemplation of God, that's how we get there. Right. Yeah. I really appreciate the way that he unpacks how the, the idea of the dog, you know, in its early life, having kind of been cooped up, uh, led to just these patterns and thinking about the kind of patterns that our minds can just become familiar with. And we end up thinking that that's just the way things are, you know, that's just how we respond to things. Um, and recently, um, I, I become aware of the idea, and this maybe doesn't sound very novel or new, and it may sound so incredibly obvious, but the idea that the way that I perceive the world is not the way that everyone else perceives the world, mm. right? But, 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 but a lot of times we tend to think that the way we're seeing things and the way that we're perceiving things is the way that other people do. And just to open yourself up to the idea that you may have certain lenses that you look through, certain thought patterns, a certain upbringing that has shaped your perception can open you to the idea of letting go of all the letting go of those perceptions so that you can just be present to God. Um, Cause those perceptions can just work like a, uh, well, like the, dog running in circles, feeling like it's just trapped within that perspective or perception. Yeah. Another example he gives of that is the, the ballet dancer, right. Who is told by her mom that she has two left feet, you know, and mm -hmm. not a good dancer. And then she spends her whole life accomplishment after accomplishment after accomplishment. And she still believes that she can't dance, right. Despite all the external affirmation to the contrary. And, uh, and yet, you know, that's an easy thing as you're looking at that person, you're reading about that person to say, she just needs to realize that she can dance, you know, um, that she's that to get out of that thought pattern. But then how many of those thought patterns are are ours as well? Like, this is the way that this is this is what my career has to look like. This is what being a pastor or a ministry leader or a spiritual director means. I have to do this and this and this um, or whatever it may be. Yeah, I kind of am, you know, just always am amazed at how long we can go with those ideas and what is it that you know we can live our entire lives with it or if you stop and kind of are made aware you know there is that ability to kind of overcome right it kind of like in the ballet dancer she's out there on the on the in the moors or whatever and she has this experience and like, and it just was that, like, it was just that simple thing um, that she just wasn't aware of. I, th I think it's so significant that we are in union with Christ. It's not something that we achieve, but 
the gift of contemplative prayer is experiencing that and living in the awareness of mm-hmm. the fact that we're in, in union. And and Laird quite often comes back to this idea of the illusion of separateness, that that's really in many ways what plagues us. And that's an awareness thing. That's a perception thing that we're trained to think that God is out there. Um, you know, whether our theology would tell us otherwise, often what we kind of think is that God's sitting up in heaven with a long beard. And when we're praying, our, our like prayers are going out through the distance to this God who's kind of far away and somehow he hears us. Um, and, and part of reeling in, in the wild hawk of the mind, I think, is dealing with um, that. And he, and he expresses why this is so important, because he says on page 20, God becomes an object somewhere over there in the distance and as much in need of appeasement as praise. This type of God is generated by the illusion of separateness and requires us to live in a mental prison, however lavishly furnished makes us believe that we're alone, shameful, stupid, afraid, unlovable. We believe this lie and our life then becomes a cocktail party of posturing, masquerade in order to hide the anxiety and ignorance of who we truly are. Yeah, there's a lot there. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of God being away or separate I, I mean, that's something that I grew up thinking that that's how God was. God was, you know, in this other place. Um, but through the years, you know, just the idea of like God with us, like, what does that mean? God within me. Um, that's just something that um, I've come to uh, just hold true for myself. Like God is God is always with me. Um, and it's not really just this being that's somewhere else. Um, and I don't think that uh, we see that in, in Scripture either. Yeah, I love at the end of the chapter, I highlighted this sentence. He says, we go off in search of what has from all eternity sought and found us. Mm. Mm. Which is like, when you think about that, of course, you know, we mentioned Acts, um, I think a couple of times ago, God is not far from any one of us. Um and yet, well, this week I had a congregant text me and saying that I feel very far from God. You know, that language of of being far away from God is so part of our, um, yeah, our nomenclature for how we talk about these things. And yet, I think you're right, Shelley. When you go to the scripture, it says over and over again, Christ with us, the hope of glory. God is not far from any one of us. You know, it, it reiterates mm-hmm. this point. And where is this coming from? Yeah, there's an important theological distinction here. God is wholly other than us. Um, we are not God, and yet he is eminently present with us, and both are true. And I think sometimes we will ping pong between those two and say, oh, I feel really close to God. Oh, God feels really far away. And, and we sort of have a feeling or an experience that, identifies or connects with one of those theological realities, whereas the truth is both are true 100% all the time. And this is where our mind can fail us because the math doesn't work. How could God be wholly other and then also completely present with us? 
but that's that's part of the mystery that we have to hold. That's exactly what I was saying. I was like, well, that's just, you know, part that's mystery and we can't comprehend it. And that's okay. It's actually great. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that's part of what happens is we get so not really stuck in our minds. And I think he even talks about that. It's not about being stuck in your mind and and somehow getting out of just your mind, but um, our mind wants to objectify things. Our mind wants to categorize things and define things so that we can navigate our way through life. And God ultimately is undefinable and we can't um, manage God or control God. He is holy other. Um, uh, and that's, that's where we can kind of hit a little bit of a brick wall um, because ultimately, um, God is not a thing. Um, as, as John of the cross says, God is nada was what he, he talks about. God is nothing, meaning he's no thing. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's kind of the idea of these, these different ways of thinking, the ratiocination, or I don't know how if I said that correctly, ratiocination i think so um but you know just that reasoning or exact thinking right or um that discursive thinking is you're trying to trying to reason with something that we can't reason with and so we kind of get stuck there in our minds yeah he really makes a a good point of so much of our experience of god is is what of what we don't know, right? And that's not just true of God, it's true of every person. I think he uses an illustration of uh, an old married couple, right? Who uh, the, the woman says about this man that she'd been married to, I don't know, 50 years, I'm forgetting the details of the story, but she says, I've no, I know that man like the back of my hand, right? But I, I'll never understand him. And we all know what she means. It means that there is there is a limit to how much you can know about a person, another being. And yet there's a whole iceberg beneath the the water surface right that we recognize as his personhood could not certainly be summed up by someone even who's known him for 50 years how much more so right is our, our relationship with god we say i think i know these things knowing things is good right uh the discursive mind is a is a good thing right that's what he calls this this mind of rational thoughts the scriptures say that we're supposed to renew our mind that we should know things about god uh, but it also says that that knowledge puffs up, and the one who loves God um, is the one who is known by him. That's from 1 Corinthians, right? And so it's not just this, these are the things that I know about God, and, and contemplation is found in what I know. It's also entering into that land where there's, you know, where the silence reveals how much we don't know, and and almost being swallowed up or lost in that um, that sense of who God is. and the depth of that. Yeah. I just am picturing just this, you know, once you can get past what your mind is thinking, um, the expanse of what you can know with your, with your whole self, with your, you know, your body, mind and soul all together. There's so much more there than, um, than just what you can understand and with your mind. He says about that woman, I'll just read this one little quote. He says about the woman who said that about the man that she knows, but also doesn't know. He says, her unknowing 
goes deeper than her knowing. And in this depth is communion. Mm. So it is with our life in God. It's entering into the unknowing. That's where the communion is. The things that we know are important, but they stay surface level. It's almost that, that I'm with the unknown where we find our life with God in its fullness. Yeah, absolutely. It's as we walk through these things and talk about these things, so much of it is both and. It's, and I think he, he deals with that well when he talks about, it's not just about, oh, you got to get out of your head and get into your heart. And then he quotes Theophon, the, uh, the monk who says, to pray, you must descend from your head to your heart. Or I've heard it translated as descend with your head into your heart. And it's, it's both uh, together. And so it's, it's uh, both words and what goes beyond words. And uh, I was reading just earlier this week uh, from James Finley. Uh, some of you may know that name. And he talked about the difference between communication with words and, uh, and that deep communication that goes beyond words. And he says, he says this, he says, words are to communion as the sky is to the stars. Yeah. It's both and. So, so there, there is that sense of discursive reasoning as we're thinking about our relationship with God, but there's an invitation to go past just thinking about God. Um, uh, but you don't abandon the one for the other. Shelley, as you read this chapter again and re-familiarize yourself with it, uh, did anything else jump out at you in terms of feeling very significant? Um. I mean, as I was kind of thinking over the chapter, I think just in general, our culture kind of keeps us in that cage of just wanting to continuously process things. And um, But I was just wondering about the invitation here, the invitation to kind of settle into an inner space. And I know that as the book goes on, he talks about, about some of the ways that you can do that. But I, but as I was reading, I was really just, I was just reminded there's like an old Native American proverb that says, um, the longest journey is from the head to the heart. Hmm. And that's kind of what it reminded me of. And so um, really like, so the next chapter is about breath and I don't want to go into that, but how do you even get to the place? How do you turn the constant noise off in your head? I mean, do you even want to do that? So I, I recently saw this uh, article about silence and about how just how much um, people don't want to sit with their, even with their thoughts. 67% of men and 25% of women, when they were faced with 15 minutes of silence, would choose, chose rather to be shocked with electricity rather than to sit there and think silently. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that just says a little bit about where we are as a culture, like when you would choose to have an electrical shock rather than to even sit with your thoughts, not even, I'm not even just talking about like entering into silence. So, <laughs> well, you know, it, it might be helpful to, to just share and point out as well that um, 
if, if you're seeking to spend time with God in silence, um, it's very possible that some difficult things will come up in your thoughts. Sure. Um, there's some things that may surface that your mind has learned to keep busy so that you don't have to think about certain things. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be a little terrifying and even uh, discouraging. But if it does, that's very normal. And so for some people, as they enter into some contemplative practices, they find that they need to sit with someone and process some unaddressed or unhealed trauma or wounds. And uh, so just know that if, if that's something you experience, you're not abnormal. That's very normal. And, and, and the other thing that I think it's important to say is that for some people in, in the Christian tradition, the idea of going beyond your thoughts or letting go of your thoughts and kind of that reasoning mind, people have been told that that's dangerous, that that opens them up to the occult or it opens them up to Mm -hmm. demons are going to, you know, if you open yourself up, you never know what's going to come in. And And here's the thing. I'll just say very simply, if you are opening yourself up to God, you're opening yourself up to God. The only way that a demon is going to get in, the only way that some evil influence is going to get in is if you're opening yourself up to that. And and I had a discussion with someone a couple of years ago, and I said, do you realize that in the church when we teach that if you quiet yourself and open yourself like that, that, you know, something bad could happen? That's voodoo. That's like some other, like, you know, kind of religious thought that is not um, it's, it's not Christian at all. Mm. And so I think that can be helpful too. If there's any fears that come up that, gosh, I can't really open myself because I don't know what'll happen. Um, I, I think clearly God will hold you close and you can trust, uh, that he, um, will hold that space with you. Mm. Not even just beginners or those who've never done this before, you know, that that struggle with silence from time to time. I think that, um, you know, I think about my own story and I've had plenty of contemplative, you know, experiences with the Lord. And but even just, you know, some weeks ago, starting a new routine of of absolute silence, you know, and I just remember thinking and I wrote down notes just so I could share it with other people as I was doing it. This feeling of I don't want to do this. <laughs> You know, like I have stuff to do, you know, I I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be here right now. And then, you know, by day three, by day four, you're like, uh, maybe even longer, right? That that's, that's someone who's done contemplative quite often. Sometimes it might take a week or two, but like I, you reach a certain point where you're like, I want this. I, I crave this, this silence. And, uh, but it doesn't come right away, even to, to those who've done it quite a bit before, there's going to be a space where, um, where you, you just like your mind is saying, this is not what I want to do because it's used to another pattern. And, um, and so you're right, Shelly, he, he doesn't get too much into conclusions. That's, that's really for the rest of the season for us to, to discuss <laughs> it, This chapter is about, you know, this, this wild beast of the mind that we all have and we all can relate to. Um, but it does encourage us to begin to think differently about, what it is that God's inviting us into. It's not this caged life, you know, it, it's a spacious place and uh, and his invitation is there for us. Yeah. I think in my own life, um, I mean, I have craved silence for a long time. I grew up in a very rural area and I now live in a very rural area. 
And so I love silence. I, um, I crave it. And so, um, but I know that's not, that's not for everyone. I know that everyone's not like me. So, um, so kind of, as you said earlier, Ted, like not everyone, this is, it's not something that comes easy for everyone, but I think if we can just begin to have an awareness, that's kind of the jumping off place. Like if this is something that you're trying to cultivate in your, um, in your life, um, as a spiritual practice or just, you know, um, as living a contemplative life. Um, but just, I think it's so important just to have that awareness that that's going on and that, um, that there are ways to kind of settle yourself and to, to, to settle some of the external noise going on. You know, I, I think it's important to note that, uh, if you're sensing an invitation from the Lord toward quiet, silence, contemplation, um, that's the Lord drawing you. It's not just mm-hmm. simply about personality or your background or what you're used to. Um, Shelly, you say you grew up in a rural area and just love the silence. I've, I've never lived in a city less than a million people. You know, I, I'm not that. I'm not, I, sometimes I think I'm the world's worst contemplative, you know, I'm trying. Um, but I know it's on the one hand, I know it's good for my soul and I need it. I mean, I was just meeting with my spiritual director this morning and we spent probably most of the time in quiet, um, because we kind of noticed early in our time together that I was just kind of a bit tense and, Mm. um, and through that hour and a lot of silence, my body just kind of relaxed. And I, I probably couldn't have identified to you that I was feeling some tension. Um, and, and so for me, silence is like eating my vegetables quite often. I've learned to kind of love and crave vegetables, um, but I also know it's really good for me. Mm-hmm. And if you don't eat them for a while then you have to get used to them again, right? <laughs> I'm the same right. way as you, Ted. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's worth doing, and it's all the spiritual benefits are there, but it does not come naturally to me either. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, as we're just so many, di- we're so many different kinds of people, and I think we all kind of come to it in our own way. One thing to uh, just spend a moment on is on page uh, 28, uh, Laird talks about the concentration of attention in the heart. And he says, this is the starting point of prayer. How, how do we do that? How do we come to a place of concentration of attention in the heart? I think that's a great question. Um, and if you notice, like, I don't know, in the table of content, The next chapter is about breathing and a centering word after that and those sort of things. But as I was thinking about this, I was like, I don't even know if you can even get to breathing before settling the thoughts. Um, I think you have to settle the thoughts to attend to the rest of who you are. Um, And so I was just thinking about how, how do we do that? 
I mean, we've talked a little bit about awareness, but awareness isn't isn't necessarily changing anything. So I can be aware that I have thoughts running through my mind. Um, but some of the, the, I, the thoughts that came to me were just um, the ideas of doing some grounding. I, I mean, maybe that's a little woo-woo. But when I say grounding, I, I mean just becoming present to where you are at in the present moment. A lot of times our brains are filled with those videos and those thoughts. Um, if we're thinking about the future or we're contempl- or thinking about something from the past, um, but I think how we come to settle our thoughts is just to become present. And I think a few ways that, um, there are some like mindfulness activities that you can do, whether it's, um, just noticing your body. Uh, a lot of times our heads kind of get separated from the rest of our bodies. I've known, uh, I've known people who can't even, if you close your eyes, and I tell them to like, like draw their attention to their toes. They can't even do that because their brains are so separated from their body. Um, so maybe just being becoming aware, becoming present to your own body. Um, I think some of the other things are there's some other grounding types of activities like um, there's the one with the senses where you, you know, you, you look around and you see five things. And then, um, I think, is it, I don't, I don't remember exactly what it is. It's five things you can see, four things you can hear maybe, or, or take or touch one of the two and, and kind of like, you can, you can Google it, but, um, and it's just, it's just this grounding activity of the senses and all of those things, all of those kind of things, are really just to bring you to the present. Um, if we can't, I, I, the next chapter is about breathing. If you can't be present, it doesn't matter how much you're breathing if you can't notice it. And so I think to me that was kind of the how of settling the mind. Let me uh, let me cl- bring this conversation to a close, and I just want to read one more uh couple of sentences here from, from Laird, which I think are so good. He says about this, this mind, this thinking mind, uh, he says the thinking mind that whirls about is constantly concerned with thoughts, concepts, images. And we obviously need this dimension of the mind to meet the demands of the day, to think, to reflect and enjoy life. But the thinking mind has a professional hazard. If it is not engaged in its primary task of reason, given half a chance, it fizzles and boils with obsessive thoughts and feelings. There are, however, deeper demands, deeper encounters of life, love, and God. And there's far more to being alive than riding breathlessly around in the emotional roller coaster of obsessive thinking. (laughs) What a writer, too, by the way. Oh, my goodness. That's that's like worth the price (laughs) of the book, that paragraph. (laughs) And, you know, I think it's important to note, too, we can be obsessive in our thoughts about God mm-hmm. and just be stuck in this place of we're obsessing about God rather sure. than living in the awareness that we are in communion mm-hmm. and we are beloved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't, don't obsess even about how little contemplation there is in your life. Right. That's the thing we can, we have so, so many ways of doing this, right? Whatever it is that we think we need or want in our life, we obsess over that. And what he's saying is, look, there is, 
there's a deeper life, there's a deeper encounter of God that is available to us. And um, it's, it's accessed through, through contemplation uh, as a primary means. It's not the only means, but this is a wonderful way uh, to connect with the Lord. So we thank you so much, Shelly, for, uh, for sharing your time with us today from the great state of PA. Um, and uh, thanks for sharing a cup of coffee with us and uh, the time to talk about this. We appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Shelly. So appreciate you. And, you know, it's it's one thing for us to talk about this, and it's good um, for us to think about these things, but we learn as we grow in practice. So we want to encourage you to spend some time in contemplative prayer, in centering prayer. And that's why we do our monthly Be Still gathering. Of course, this is something you can do on your own as well. And that's really... Um, that's really where the growth happens, as you just practice. And, it, and that's, that's why we call them spiritual practices, because you're practicing, you're not doing it perfectly, you're experimenting, you're trying. So we encourage you to uh, jump in and, uh, and give it a go. Be sure to check out our website, sfsaz.org, and you can find a spiritual director. You can sign up for the many events we have coming up this fall. And we will see you next time.